The world is a beautiful but challenging place to live. And let's face it, life hits hard sometimes. So if you find your hopes and dreams and mental well-being needs a boost, you're tuned in to the right podcast. Welcome to Inspire Us with your host, Jay Paul Nadeau, a former hostage negotiator turned motivational speaker and acclaimed author of Take Control of Your Life. And now, here's your host, Jay Paul Nadeau. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 13 of Inspire Us. I'm Paul Nadeau. Today, I have the pleasure of speaking with Keika Desgupta. I met this very motivational woman at a TEDx conference, and I've followed her motivational posts on social media ever since. Keika believes in moving people from helpless to helpful through a powerful free currency called gratitude. As a 20-year award-winning PR marketing veteran, Keika has dedicated her entire working life to studying the emotional undercurrents that connect people to people and people to brands. This mom of two has worked with such globally recognized brands as Ikea, Nike, Disney, American Express, and many other Fortune 500s. Her clients have also included various schools and boards of education. Moreover, Keika has served as an instructor at the Schulich Executive Educational Center, Schulich School of Business, York University, and today Keika heads up multiple entrepreneurial ventures. She has founded this platform called Art of Lifing, and she runs gratitude workshops across North America for both students with an anti-bullying focus and corporate audience with a focus on building happy corporate cultures. In today's episode, Keika talks about following your heart, even if it means taking a risk. She discusses how the universe will sometimes push you in the direction you ought to be headed, and it's up to you to listen. She also talks about her anti-bullying programs, empowering children, expressing gratitude, and so much more. I know you're going to enjoy this episode. I know I certainly did. And now, here's my next guest, Keika Desgupta. Welcome, Keika. I am so glad to have you on. I have followed you on social media, and you are a very inspiring individual. And your approach to gratitude is so overwhelmingly great. And you've always got a smile on your face. Your videos are always uplifting and upbeating. And I thought, I have to have Keika on my show. And I have you. So welcome to Inspire Us. And in today's episode, I want to find out all about you and what you're doing in the world to inspire and uplift people. So I want to know who Keika is. Who is Keika? Where did you grow up? How did you get involved in this? And then we're going to get into sharing your ideas and thoughts with us. Oh, I love it. Thank you so much, Paul. It's just such a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited. So who is Keika? That's a great story to start with. I often describe myself as the, obviously the Canadian girl, but the Indian girl, because my parents were immigrants that came to Canada in the 60s. And so I grew up in what I would say like dual cultures, you know, so at home, I was in my little India, (laughs) where I had all the beautiful richness of Indian culture and 
and Hinduism. And then I'd go to school and I'd, and I'd in, immersed in Canadian culture and femininity and feminism and all of those things. So I always felt like I was so grateful to have the best of both of those cultures as I grew up. And what it did for me as I was growing up is that I was always somewhat different, but at the same time connected with everybody. And so, you know, today when we look at so much in the news around Black Lives Matter and, and just the awareness that so many of us are having around the, the experience of somebody who might be a person of color or Indigenous or Black, diversity has been something that I've always loved being a part of and just felt like we are richer when we share with each other. So when I look at my background, I certainly feel like I have a little bit of the East and a little bit of the West and a combination of all those things together that make me me. And then work-wise, I have been, uh, I've had a marketing and PR career for 23 years. And I have, I worked at Ikea in-house for a little while when I first started my career. And then I went to an ad agency, DDB, and worked there. Then I became an entrepreneur when my son was born. I have two boys now. And I, you know, I did one of those things that many people do after working in a career that I absolutely loved uh, over the past few years. I kept, I kept feeling like I just need to do something more. <laughs> I loved marketing and PR for so long, but it there just it felt like it was time to move into a ne next chapter, which can feel scary for a lot of us, right? So I kind of took the plunge and I thought. I'm just going to follow my heart and do the things that I love. So I, I was doing the marketing work, but I decided that I wanted to share some kind of a message in the world. And to me, it often kept coming back to gratitude and kept coming back to empathy and kindness and just being able to understand people better. And I think that growing up in two different cultures, it really helped me to see people for who they are because we're all different and we all have something unique to say. From a marketing perspective, I used to really work on learning the magic behind the people I was doing the marketing for. What makes them really special? And so I took that work and created anti-bullying programs at schools and worked on corporate programs for leaders around gratitude-centered leadership. And so today, that's the kind of work I'm doing under a personal development platform I've created called The Art of Lifing. And honestly, Paul, it feels just like my soul's work. I, I just feel super, super excited and grateful to have this opportunity to share the work that just kind of doesn't feel like work. It just feels like me being me and, and sharing a message that I, I just feel like I need to share with the world. <laughs> I can feel the energy coming from you right out of the computer right now. I can feel that energy and that <laughs> smile. For all you listeners out there, you can't see Keiko's smile, but I certainly can. And it fills the screen. It's absolutely beautiful. You were working in the corporate world when you were doing your stuff. And then you got this idea. And it must have been scary <laughs> yeah. at the time that you got that idea of making a change in your life. Number one, what was it that drove you to take the action to change the course of your path, where you were headed, what you were doing for so long? What was it that drove you to take the risk and do the plunge? And how was it that inspiration became that second goal? Right. Oh, there's a funny story behind this. <laughs> <laughs> This was a few years back. I had 
dropped off my kids to school and another fellow mom and I just connected on the phone. She calls me in the morning. She dropped her kids off. She's like, so how are you doing? What's on your day today? What are you about to do? And I was going to go downtown and meet a few clients for some of the marketing work. And I said to her, you know, I've, I've got a full day and I'm, I'm heading down, but I just have to tell you like this nudge I feel inside of me to be speaking in front of people and doing something more to help people feel better in some capacity is just, I can't escape it. I keep trying to ignore it or put it down on the list because it feels scary. And I just, I almost feel like the universe is pushing me from behind and except there's really nothing there physically pushing me, but I feel like that, that push. And she said to me, well, what do you need to do to make that happen? Like, what do you want to do? And I, I said, you know, I'm a mom. Of course, I've got two young boys. I see a lot of bullying at school, cyberbullying. And I come from a marketing background. And I know that marketing is so pivotal in our lives. It's important. But at the same time, if we don't have a good balance for ourselves, if we take in every marketing message that's thrown to us, those messages are often telling us that we're not enough. Like, you know, our, our hair isn't shiny enough, we need the shampoo, our teeth are not white enough, we need a whitener, like, and we're exposed to 5000 messages or more a day that are telling us why we need something or we're not okay on our own. And inside of me, I want my boys to feel completely whole, and completely enough on their own. And so that was where my motivation came from is that I want young people to be able to know that yes, you can use the shampoo and the teeth whitener and all these other brands and that's fine, but you are enough deep inside of you, you're enough. And when we feel that way, I wholeheartedly believe that that is when we can stand in our own strength, we can stand up for somebody else, we can be that person who stands up when they see bullying against somebody else, because we have confidence in ourselves. And you know, it's like, no, this is not going to happen in my presence, or we don't feel the need to be mean to someone else and pay our hurt forward, because we're standing in our own. And so I knew that gratitude and empathy and kindness, all of that together, if we could share that message with young people, I felt like I could really make a difference. So I said to my friend, I think I want to do some anti-bullying programs at schools. And truth be told, I'd been thinking about this for a while, but I had never said it out loud. It was a little too scary. <laughs> so that day, she, my friend said to me, well, what are you waiting for? And I thought, oh my God, I don't have a good answer for her. Yeah. <laughs> so I sat in the school, yeah. right? So I sat in the school parking lot. I went onto Facebook and I put a note out and I said, I have an anti-bullying program that I want to put out into schools. Do I have any teacher or principal friends that would allow me to go into the school and beta test my program? I'll do it for free. And I would just love to be able to sort of, you know, see if this resonates. So my hope at the time, Paul, was that maybe one or two people might say, oh, you know, I'm kind of like, sure, I'll think about it and we'll see what we can do and maybe make a connection for me. I was overwhelmed that day by the responses. And the crazy thing was that I had the program in my head, <laughs> but I hadn't actually, you know, put it out there in some way. But as soon as I had put the message out, I had teachers, I had principals, I had friends who were connecting me with the, the teachers they knew. And I had a whole long list of people who were interested and wanted to know more about my program. And this is where I think you'll get a kick out of this, Paul, because you and I met at a TEDx Toronto event, right? Yeah. So. Yeah. The next day was that TEDx event. And I was sitting in my car. I had my ticket to go in. 
And I kept thinking, I don't have any marketing materials for my course for this anti-bullying workshop, but all of these teachers and principals have asked me to do something here. If I don't get back to them quickly, it, you know, it's unprofessional and I feel like I'm letting them down. So I sat in my car. I hotspotted my phone for the internet. I put on my marketing hat and my, I created my own flyer on my laptop in the parking lot <laughs> in the car. I emailed everybody and then I sheepishly walked in late into the TEDx event. <laughs> and that's really kind of how it started. I was like, I just needed to have the confidence to take that plunge. And my dear friend that day who sort of put it out there for me. What are you waiting for? You're only fearful of yourself. That's how it started. And so I, I did the beta tests with some schools. I had a phenomenal response from it. And then suddenly I had a program and everything sort of just started to build from there. But it was just this incredible experience. And the, the crazy thing was doing those anti-bullying workshops at the schools actually then inspired me to get onto the TEDx stage. And that program inspired my TEDx talk that I then delivered at TEDx Windsor a few years later. So that's how the universe works, right? When you feel like you need to do something and you actually listen and acknowledge that calling, you just have to take the baby steps to do it. And that was the biggest lesson I learned from all of that. I love that. And you've touched on so many important things that I would like to explore a little further. And that's the little voice in you that was telling you that you wanted to do something different, that you really wanted to make a difference in the world. And at first, it's, it's scary listening to that kind of a voice. But you had a friend that you shared yes. your thoughts and ideas with. And she very, very nicely just said, what are you waiting for? So when you have the universe and a close friend telling you you're on the right path, do the work, take the risk and make the move. I think that's absolutely beautiful. The work that you did <laughs> sitting in your car, creating this, this flyer on your laptop, that is, that is priceless. It's that kind of thing, that it's that drive that I'm not going to disappoint and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get this information out because it's worth getting out. And anti-bullying yes. is such an important topic to discuss and to present to people. Tell us a little bit about that anti-bullying work that you did, because I'm sure that a lot of listeners have children that are being bullied and cyberbullying is a big thing right now. Well, it always yeah. has been since the induction of the internet and children are very hurt by others. What is it that we can tell parents or even children about bullying? Can you share some of that with us? Yeah, absolutely. So there's two things that I really focus on in the workshop, two principles from which I really operate. Number one is that most of the time, when there's bullying happening, children, and I think even as adults, we often are holding or harboring hurt. We're feeling like we're not enough ourselves. And, you know, I always, I always talk to the students, but like, you know, if you were carrying a 100 pound rock in your arms every day and your arms were shaking and it was so hard to hold that, what all you'd want to do is just put that down, give it to somebody, get rid of it. And Often bullying behavior starts when we feel that hurt inside. We don't feel like we're not it. We're not enough. We feel like we don't have a voice. And then we just want to get rid of that. We want to pay that hurt forward to somebody else so we don't have to carry it again. 
And, you know, we sometimes can get into this labeling. We get into that culture to the like, you're a bully, you're a bully, you're awful, you're mean. And, and it compounds those relationships. But if we sometimes can sit down with each other before things get to an extreme, you know, when there's a crack in the foundation, if you fix the foundation right away, you stay on solid ground, right? And that's the principle of bullying prevention that I talk about at schools is that, the then this is the second part of it, is that we all have the opportunity to have incredibly positive impact on people. But we just often don't know about it. Like we might say something, I might say something to you, Paul, that really kind of sticks with you. And you're like, wow, that made such a big difference for me. But we're in a culture where we don't just automatically say, okay, I have to find that person and thank them for doing that because we assume that person knows that what they said to us was profound. And so students every single day when we're in classrooms and we see somebody who might be having a bad day or who might be either being bullied or is bullied or having some struggle, if we go to them and just sit down and just listen, just talk to them, just validate them, recognize them for who they are, that little thing, what, what I call quiet leadership, that you don't have to be on stage with a bullhorn and a microphone screaming out to the world, but just whispering something in someone's ear, it can make all the difference in the world, right? That whisper in someone's ear to say, I care, I'm listening, can make the, the most amazing impact. And so recognizing that there's a difference between seeing someone as a victim versus seeing them as a villain. How we treat a victim versus a villain is very different, but often they can be the same person. So just having that understanding first and recognizing there may be hurt in someone, how do we help support them in our own way is important. Number two, recognizing that when we can have a positive impact on, on somebody, it doesn't cost us anything. It's just time and intention to pay attention to somebody. It can make a whole difference in the way that a classroom or school operates. So, you know, some of the things I do, for example, when we do a workshop, we get follow-up programs that we give to teachers where the classroom might create like a classroom credo. So our classroom culture, what's it going to be like? We're going to make sure that nobody from our classroom ever has to sit alone if they don't want to. Making that simple declaration. And then when you see someone in the cafeteria from your classroom who's sitting by themselves and they don't have anybody to talk to, to just go say, hey, could you use some company? Would you mind if I joined you? Can make a huge difference in validating students. You know, So it's about changing our culture that way with little kind acts of empathy and understanding. And, and that's what the basis of this is about sharing gratitude. Is like when somebody does something great for you, go and recognize them for it. Tell them because it validates them to show them that they're important. And I think we all need to hear that is that you know what we have to say, who we are is important, we matter. And being able to create a culture like that, either at home or at school is critically important. So at, you know, parents, for example, at home at the dinner table, we often say, how was your day? And the normal response I usually get was, it was good. <laughs> That's it, right? Trying to solicit any other response is very hard. But if we said, did you see somebody at school today who was feeling down or feeling happy? Or what did you do to make somebody feel better today? What did you do to tell somebody that you listened to them today? Just philosophically changing the conversation to help empower kids to help each other can make all the difference in the world. Yes, it can. Everybody needs to be heard. Everybody needs to yeah. feel validated. And when we are not heard or validated, when we feel that we are invisible to the rest of the world, is when terrible things can either happen to us by our own hands, or we can lash out in anger because nobody is listening. 
And as a former police officer, I've seen both. I've seen where people who have not been heard, where they were ignored, where they were unvalidated, either ended up harming themselves or harming other people. So that kind of work is just profoundly amazing. And yes, get children to say a kind word to someone, to recognize that somebody is sitting alone. We don't know what's going on in people's lives. Yeah. Remember when I was in my early 20s, I was working for the police department and I came across this little plaque in a shop that I ended up buying. And here's what it said. I put it on my wall. It said, a kindly word so often helps, a sad heart on its way. Although we do not always see the good it does that day. And that has stuck with me forever. It's so true. I remember as a cop, I was walking uh, the beat one night and it was in Oshawa, which was at the time a very quiet community in the evening. And my staff sergeant put me out walking the beat downtown Oshawa, which was very boring after 11 o'clock because nothing was going on. And I was walking and it was probably around two o'clock in the morning. And I came across this young man who was sitting on a curb and he was about 18, 17, 18. And he was just sitting there looking at the pavement on this curb in downtown Oshawa, nobody else around. And I walked in behind him because I didn't know quite what he was doing. And I kind of looked over his shoulder. He didn't, he didn't know I was behind him. And then I tapped him on the shoulder. Big mistake. He jumped out of his skin, shouted as loud as he could. And I terrified him, which I apologized immediately. Uh, it, It was one of those, you get caught, you don't expect it. And then all of a sudden somebody taps you, you're not expecting it. He jumped out of his skin. I ended up sitting down beside him and just chatting. And that conversation was about 15 or 20 minutes long. And he broke down and started to cry. And what he told me, Keika, was that he had been sitting in that spot, deciding how he was going to kill himself that night until I came into his life. I remember that story because it moved me. And I got a cruiser and I talked to him some more and I brought him to his parents. We all talked together and they gave him the help that he needed. So we don't always know what's going on in somebody's mind, but the fact that we can ask and start these conversations is amazing. Yeah, exactly. It's so true. And you know, we ought, we live in a culture, I think, which is what I, I'm hoping to change is that we live in a culture where we often wait until the person walks out of the room. And then we say to the others, oh, isn't he amazing? Love that guy, don't we? We don't often say it to them specifically. And we, uh, we work on the op- assumption that they just know. And, and this is one of the things that I share in the workshops. And I've actually shared in my TEDx talk was it was a story about my mom. You know, I, I, I lost my father when I was in high school when I was really young in an accident. And I never really got a chance to fully say goodbye to him. And it, it was always one of those things where I realized that life is so precious that we just really need to take advantage of every opportunity. So for years after that, I kept thinking, I can't lose my mom like that without letting her know how I feel about her. And honestly, Paul, it was purely selfish on my part to share with her how I felt because I just wanted it off my chest. I wanted her to know the impact she had on me and how, how amazing she was as a mom. So one day I actually sat down and I wrote a living eulogy for her. 
And again, very selfish on my part, because I thought if the day comes when I lose her, I don't think I'll have the strength to find these words right now. And I want to do justice. So I wrote it for her. And then I came to read it to her. And, and, you know, this was one of those things like life happens as it is. I was so excited to read it to her. I brought it to her house. The, you know, she's cooking in the kitchen. The exhaust fan is on. My kids are running around and I couldn't wait. I'm like, mom, I need to read this little to you. So I poured out my heart as I'm reading off my computer. And when I finished, she, my mom looked at me and said, that's really nice, Keika. Thank you. And I thought, okay, good. She knows. <laughs> now, a year later, just before her birthday, I'm talking to my mom and my brother. And I say to my brother, you know, I feel so much better now that I know after writing that eulogy for my mom and reading it to her that she knows how I feel. To which my mom says in her like really cute little Indian accent, she says, eulogy? What eulogy? <laughs> and I realized at that time, she wasn't paying attention to what I was reading that day. <laughs> she was Hence her response. <laughs> answer response so then I said okay we're going to make a pact I'm going to I'm going to email you the letter you have to promise me you're going to read the letter and then after that we're just going to have a conversation where you you tell me that you've read the letter because then at some point in your life after that if you forget it I'm okay I know that at some point in our living years you knew how I felt about you so she said yes I happened to call her the next day and it's her birthday and her reaction call to reading my letter is actually like what changed everything for me in terms of understanding the power of gratitude and it, it's it's really been kind of the inner driver of what changed my work was that when I called her and I said mom did you read the eulogy and she said I did kick up and I, I was gonna call you but I didn't because I was so overcome by joy I, I I was reading this letter and I thought this is the greatest gift that anyone has ever given me in my life and she said I didn't know if I should cry or I should laugh or I should dance and she said I want to go out to all my neighbors I wanted to show every single person this letter and say look at what my daughter wrote about me look at the impact she said I had on her but Paul I see her every day she's my best friend I tell her I love her every day I was like how could you not know this? <laughs> like, how is it possible that for all these years, you didn't know that this is how I felt about you? And that, that was the moment for me where I realized the power of sharing gratitude. This was like, to me, it was the unexpected side effect of gift and gratitude was like, she was so happy that it made me so happy. And then suddenly I was like, I wanted to go out to everybody and say thank you in some way and get that same reaction somehow, you know, and this is what I talk about with the kids at school is that sometimes it's a simple thing that feels so obvious to us, but it's not always obvious to the other person. And I, I dare my kids when I talk to them to go out and try this and see what happens. And I've had incredible responses from people when they've done this and said, you know, I could have never imagined how big that impact was, how much it meant to the person when I shared that gratitude with them. And like, that's the thing for us, right? I, I often, I, I share how, you know, this is the kind of movement that happens one person to another. And I use an analogy where I say, like, if we take a candle uh, we, let's say I have a candle I, and I've lit my candle because I'm believing in myself. I'm trusting that whisper. I'm listening to myself. And I come and I light your candle. My candle has not become any more dim. Like it's not darker as a result. It Now we have twice the light between the two of us. And now if you light someone else's candle and I light and we continue to do that, imagine how bright the world could be when we have a million candles, right? So 
ironically, we can send a Tesla into space, we can send a rover to Mars, but we can't light a million candles all at once. That's a job that has to be done one by one. And when we do it, we brighten not only our day, but everybody else. And that to me is what I really think, like that art of lifing, this movement, that's what it's about. It's about lighting our own inner candle and then lighting other people's around us as well. That's, that's beautiful, power. lighting our own inner candle. Leonard Cohen, you just reminded me, and I've mentioned this on my show before, Leonard Cohen, the late Leonard Cohen, great uh, songwriter and artist. He wrote a yes. song and performed a song in 1995, I think it was, it was called Anthem. And in that song, one of the lyrics was, there's a crack in everything, but that's how the light gets through. And everyone has cracks, but everyone also has that light that you're talking about. And it's sharing that light and illuminating other people's lights with yours that makes all the difference in the world. I really like what you said, everything you said, but to touch on one of the things is that person leaving the room and then you start talking about how great they are. Isn't it sad how many people will die never knowing what good things were said about them? That is a sad reality that needs to be changed. If we're going to say something nice about yes. somebody, let's make sure that we include them. We don't talk yes. about how good they are behind their backs. Let's talk <laughs> about how good they are in front of them and share that in wonderful. That's right. Let's share that how special you are and that eulogy. When you told me that story, I was laughing because, yeah, there you are in the kitchen. There's noise going on and you're reading your heart out to your mom. Ha, ah, beautiful thing. And she, yes, dear. Yes, dear. But it wasn't until later she hadn't heard you. Let's make sure yeah. that you hear those wonderful things. And what a difference. And this was the crazy thing was that when she said, that's great. Thank you. I didn't think anything of it because I thought she already knows this. Yeah. And that was the crazy thing is that when her reaction a year later was so profound, I thought, how could she not know this? And then I, that's when I realized we just don't share it that way. And we have to start doing it. Like we really do. Let's, yeah, let's tell somebody at what is so beautiful about that story. So many things, but it was the best gift that your mom ever received. No diamonds, no jewelry, no cars, no houses could ever compare to the connection that you made and to the message that you gave your mom that you were grateful right. for her and that you loved her. Right. And it's words like that that are the most precious things to people. And I love that idea. I'm going to use that. <laughs> I certainly am. Amazing. And your mom just wanted to tell the whole world, look, I matter. I Not only I knew that she loved me, but this is, wow, over, over the rainbow. It's beautiful. This is the thing that it can span across every part of our life. So, you know, we've talked about schools and doing this at home with our loved ones, but this is why I've taken this message on the corporate side too, is that so many studies have shown that when people feel like they're appreciated at work, when they feel like they're thanked at work, they work harder, they take smarter risks, they will stay longer with the company, like all the things that we as companies in the HR world want for, for our people. And yet most studies have found that 
gratitude is one of the last things people tend to feel at work. And so if you think about the reaction that my mom had, which is, you know, we should know we love each other. We should know we have that impact on each other. So you can imagine that in a workforce, if a leader, if a manager, if a boss says to their team, this is the impact you had based on this project. When you did this for this particular colleague, it made such a difference. If we start to build a culture of gratitude in the workforce, we bring that powerful currency within gratitude into our workforce, we can actually light up our employees' candles. We can supercharge them, where then they're more motivated to do things at work that they would otherwise not do. You know, today, it's not just time that we're paying for people at work, we're, t- we're paying for mind share. And so when we can light people up internally and get them excited about the fact that they have had such a great impact in their work, the ripple effect is extraordinary. And so bringing gratitude into leadership at work is also a place where I feel like this can This principle can be applied to every aspect of our lives, including the corporate boardroom and the office as well, especially as we're working virtually. (laughs) Precisely. And I so agree with you. I've given keynotes to corporate settings in which I talk about the the organization being a family. The CEO is at the head of the family. They kind of run things but everybody has their job to do. So your job may be this today, doing the dishes, vacuuming, whatever, but you're all working together as a family. And if we could bring that attitude into the workplace, and as you said, compliment people when they're doing something right. Don't talk that that, that stuff behind their back, go to them and give them that encouragement. It makes such a big difference. I remember in my earlier years as a police officer, It's along the same line. I had this sergeant that was a hard-nosed sergeant. He was an ex-military man. He was always on everybody's back and nobody could get through to this guy. He was just mean. And he would come to me and I I worked hard. I really worked hard, but he would say, are you messing around? Are you, he would use some terrible language. Are you doing the dog? And I'm like, no, sir, I'm working hard. And he was always on my back. And I picked up a book and the book was, I think it was 39 keys to a happy life or something like that. One of those was, why don't you compliment somebody, a genuine compliment to someone. So I I read this and it made an impact with me. And I remember going to him, it was during a midnight shift and it was about three o'clock in the morning. And he was sitting there with a stern face at the front desk. And I was there alone and I, I gathered the courage to say something nice about him. I said, you know, Sarge, I admire you because you don't let anybody get away with anything and your heart is always in the right place. And I want to thank you for encouraging me. His body language changed immediately. (laughs) He sat right up. He smiled. It was the first time I'd ever seen this sergeant smile. (laughs) And from that day on, he treated me differently. And it was just finding something that was genuinely good in him And complimenting him makes such a big difference. So yes, our employees can be encouraged to do more. They can can be happier about their circumstances because a lot of people are not happy at work. Let's create an environment in which people are happy to be there because they feel like they are connected to everyone else. Yes, most definitely. Yeah. 
And it, it feels like a small thing and it feels like a simple thing. So sometimes it's hard to imagine the impact, but you know, I, I it's, it's my dare to my students, but also to corporate leaders. It's like, just go try it. I dare you to try it. Because like you said, when you see somebody who's so tough and so stern and you can see their body language change and you see the smile, it's, you can't unsee that, you know, once you, once you experience that reaction from somebody, then you can really understand and appreciate this power of being able to bring that positivity to other people. And it, you know, it gives back to us too. That's the beautiful thing is it's circular, right? Um, it, it's exponential in terms of how much it can help all of us involved. So that, that's the thing, that's the thing that we need more of right now. We do. And there is the theory of reciprocation that whatever we give, we usually receive in return. Yeah. So if I'm walking down the street and I give somebody the finger, likely they're going to give me the finger back. Right. If I walk down the street and I smile and I say hello, they're likely to smile and say hello to me as well. Exactly. What I yeah. give is what I usually get. And I'll tell you, Keika, that attitude saved my life in the Middle East when I was about to be killed. It saved me from some severe beatings as a cop because I would treat everyone with dignity wow. and respect and listen to them. And the way that I spoke to them was the way that I wanted to be spoken to in return. And yes. when we adapt the fact that we are more similar than we are different. So when you are faced with someone who looks dangerous or who you're scared of approaching because of their presence, but you yes. give something of warmth to them. It's amazing how you can melt through the layers of anger that they may be having. If we could only yes. sit with each other and talk to each other, I think, and try to understand where people are coming from because we are more similar than we are different. You, you may be yes. different in the way that you believe, but I can respect that. And I don't have to always agree with it, but I certainly can treat you the way that I want to be treated myself. And we're going to get so much more joy from our encounters with people if we only do that. And that's what you're 100%. talking about. Yes, absolutely. And you know, you brought up a really good point is that when we see people feeling angry or even sometimes sad, for example, I think that, you know, we're often, our, our societal culture is one where we equate negativity with that. That's a negative emotion. You know, when I'm happy, it's a positive emotion. If I'm sad or I'm angry, that's negative. And we tend to be in a culture where it's like we either we're fearful of the negative pieces. We kind of want to run away from it when we're feeling angry or sad or upset. We're like, oh, how do I get back to, to, to normal? How do I get back to happy immediately? Um, and this is something that, you know, especially with the COVID pandemic, there's so much that we're sort of like forced to pause and forced to face the realities of our emotions right now. And so in doing this work around the art of lifing, I actually have partnered with this other person and we're working on a course called Managing Emotions. And it's it's designed for teachers and parents, but really like I think any one of us can you know benefit from this. The we're exploring this idea that emotions we really need to stop uh, like labeling emotions as negative or positive and thinking of them as charged because every emotion we feel serves a purpose. 
And, you know, if we could recognize that when we're feeling anger, there's often other deeper layers of emotions that just need to come out. And anger is one of those things that protects us. We put our guard up because we're feeling unsafe. We put our guard up because we're wounded, you know? So if we can understand our own emotions and how that works, then we can help other people too. So if a parent sees a child feeling really angry, we often will First, if we're a loving parent, we're trying to figure out how to get them back to happy right away. And it's like, I'm uncomfortable with you being angry or I'm uncomfortable with you being sad. How do we bring you back? But if we were to allow that child to sit and say, you know what, how you feel is totally normal. I have felt angry in my life. I felt sad before too. What are those emotions trying to say to you? What can we learn from this experience that can help you to process your emotion? And knowing that even when I'm feeling sad or upset or angry, that there's there's light at the end of the tunnel. I'll get through this and I'll be okay. But I'm just going to acknowledge that I'm feeling this right now and I'm going to work through it. That in itself, I think, could help us to find more strength inside of ourselves. Because I think that if I feel sad or upset or angry, immediately I'm uncomfortable. Like this is not a good emotion to be in. I need to get away. And then I'm not actually sitting to figure out what my body is telling me or what my heart or mind are telling me. And I, I, I leave without being conscious of that. And then as soon as that comes back up again, because I haven't worked through it, Again, I'm uncomfortable. And this is where we often have that self-worth crisis because we're so uncomfortable with ourselves and we're often strangers to our own emotions, you know? And through this pandemic and the, the fact that we've been faced with this challenge of looking at our lives and, and everything stands still and we have to see what works and what doesn't work. And there's the gamut of our own emotions that go up and down. If we don't allow ourselves to feel those and give ourselves permission to be human and to recognize that all of those feelings serve a purpose to help us, then really we feel helpless. I think that's where we are. So this is one of the things that we're really working on is that we want to be able to help people feel comfortable with the full spectrum of emotions that they feel themselves and they see in other people so that we can be more empowered. And gratitude and empathy and all of those things are amazing to, to help other people. But quite often that also has to start with us. We have to show ourselves kindness and we have to show ourselves gratitude in order to fuel ourselves so we can help other people as well. Those are the, the two things that I'm really excited about because I feel like that those are things that I think if we all embrace that, it can make our whole living experience so different. Oh, I agree. So managing emotion, yes, labeling emotion and understanding that it's okay to feel certain ways and that it won't last yes. forever. And there yes. are ways of getting yourself out of that by examining what it is that's caused you to feel that way and what you can do, what steps you can do to manage your emotion. And I love that program. I wish you a great deal of success, which I'm sure you're going to get on that. And so before we close off, I do want to talk about a couple of things that you have going on. You have a 30-day gratitude challenge on your website. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, yes, absolutely. So, you know, so often when we talk about sharing gratitude, I think sometimes, you know, it's a habit forming. We have to build up that habit and it can feel a little bit hard sometimes initially to say, oh my gosh, like how do I write a living eulogy for somebody? And we're not all writers. We know we're not all so expressive in that sense. And the goal behind this gratitude sharing challenge is that we're doing it for 30 days because it takes normally 30 days to build a habit. But the goal behind it is that every day 
you, you can go to the site, you download a, a PDF, and every day there's one task, one thing you can do to share gratitude with somebody, but we make it super easy. It's literally going to take you five minutes. So whether it is sharing a story with somebody, texting someone, and there's different prompts that we say. So, you know, just as an example, we go to our doctor or our accountant or our dentist, and so often we need them in some ways. Sometimes we really like I love my family doctor. I don't know that I've ever told him how much I appreciate him. I've been seeing him since I was 12. And so it's like taking those moments. So it's like today is the day. Pick up the phone and leave a message for your doctor and tell your doctor how much you appreciate them as as an example. Yes. Or an accountant who might have, you know, really helped you with your taxes. But it's like every day finding a different person in our surroundings in our life that we can thank. Within the midst of COVID, we all have our favorite restaurants or cafes or bakeries, coffee shops. So we know they're all going through a hard time. Put out a social media post just thanking your favorite coffee shop and say why you why you love it. So it's just kind of getting into the habit of seeing the magic in our everyday normal and finding ways to be able to share gratitude and make it super simple and easy. So it's a great way to just kind of exercise those gratitude muscles and it's five minutes a day. So no intimidation. It's not hard. All the ideas are there. And then watch the reaction you get. I had the opportunity to thank a high school teacher. She she had a tremendous impact on me and I'm so grateful to her. And I don't think she ever knew it. So I put out a post uh, on my social media and I thanked her for it. And then she wrote me back afterwards and said, you know, I, I wrote a letter of thanks back to you because your post meant so much to me. And that's the kind of thing I'm hoping people experience is when others receive that gratitude, they're going to give so much back to you too. It's a great way to just take those baby steps to start practicing gratitude. I love that. I really do. And it's so true. When you appreciate someone, when you show that gratitude for someone and you tell them, or as you said, you post something on social media, not only does it do the recipient some good, but it does good for us. When we do yes. a kind action for someone, when we really open ourselves up or communicate with someone and, and tell them how much we appreciate them, it makes us feel good. So it helps our mental wellness by helping the mental wellness of other people. It's so magic how that works. When you do a kindly act for someone, you feel good about it. And not yeah. only are you improving their life circumstances because you never know where they are in their lives, or they may never have thought that you appreciated everything that they had done for them or the relationship that you have. But when yeah. you sit there or you stand there or you just send them a message, when you connect and you say it, it makes you feel good and it makes them feel fantastic. I like that. I love that. So everyone listening out there, this is Keika Dasgupta, and she has a website, The Art of Lifing, and do check that 30-day gratitude challenge and take her up on that because it sounds like those gratitude exercises that you have people doing every day is going to make a huge impact in their lives and improve the quality of their lives and the quality of other people's lives. Before we go, I want to ask you, you have inspired us throughout this entire program, and thank you for that. Couldn't you maybe give us one or two other pieces of inspiration before you go? What could you tell people out there, other than what you've already shared, which is beautiful, what could you tell people out there that could help <laughs> 
Sure. So, so I was a marketer for 23 years, right? And then I moved into this line of work and I kept thinking to myself, do I just leave marketing behind and like enter into this new world on its own? Because I put my heart and soul into the work I did around marketing and PR. And then I suddenly realized that, wait a minute, you know, if you look at the, if you look at global branding, our branding industry, the ad industry is actually globally worth $1.4 trillion a year. And I'll ask one question that I think all of your listeners could ask is that, have you ever met a brand with low self-esteem? The answer is unequivocally no, right? And that is because when we as marketers build brands, we really focus in on the power of the brand. So what are the core values of this brand? What are the personality traits of this brand? Um, What does this brand fight for? And we create a story and a persona around a brand that stands in its power. And what happens as a result is all of the communication that brand has with its fans, its community and followers always stands in its power. So, you know, a Nike is not going to try to sell coffee the way McDonald's might with McCafe, they're going to focus in on what they're really good at and empower people to say, if you have a body, you are an athlete and you can do it. You know, so we all stand in that. If we took some of those branding principles and applied it to ourselves, even in the most difficult times, we can actually step into our own power. So that's one of the things that I ask my students and, and corporate leaders is to think about what, what core values are most important to you? What are the attributes and personality traits that people love about you? Like it's time that we acknowledge ourselves, celebrate and appreciate ourselves. So just in terms of one tip that you asked, I, I would ask your listeners if they're willing to take this homework on, <laughs> should they accept it? There's two things I want them to do, and it literally takes 30 seconds in the morning and 30 seconds at night. So each morning, and you can do this for seven days to start, each morning when you wake up in the morning, when your alarm goes off and you're getting ready to start your day, take a notebook or write it in your phone, find a place where you write one thing that you admire about yourself. Write it out, type it out, acknowledge it. So that it's like, you know, I love the fact that I am this or that I do this for other people. Something that you feel good and you can say, this is a great trait about myself. And then every night before you go to sleep, write down one gift that you've given to yourself that day. Like we do so much for other people. We often forget to do it for ourselves. And sometimes even self-care turns into a to-do list, a to-do item on our to-do list, right? But this uh, idea is that I want to be kind to myself in some way. That might mean that if I was running late for a meeting today, I'm not going to stress about it. It is what it is. And I'm going to be kind to myself and let it go. It might mean I'm going to buy myself some flowers and put it in my house because I love fresh flowers, whatever that might mean to you. But each day, give yourself one gift, however big or small. It could be taking a few deep breaths and being kind and not judgmental to yourself. It could mean doing something for yourself. But we have to be able to charge our own batteries in order to charge other people's batteries, right? So that's where I would say, give yourself that gift, make it a seven day challenge. You'll have seven things on your list of all the things you admire about yourself and the seven gifts you've given yourself. And if you like it, then keep doing it every day. I like that. And you're absolutely right. There are times that we just don't think of ourselves enough to to appreciate ourselves, to really be grateful yes. for what we do. We have to be grateful for what happens to us, the great things that happen to us, but we also have to look deep down inside and say, hey, you know what? You're doing that all right. You're doing that good. And it only <laughs> takes a few seconds. 
Keika, thank you so much for coming on and for sharing your inspiration with us and for inspiring us. You are doing amazing work and I really appreciate what you're doing. And I know that a lot of other people have been touched by you. You showed amazing courage by changing your career and following that instinctive piece of you that said, step out there and take a chance and bless your friend for encouraging you to do that. <laughs> I'm so glad that you came on the show, Keika, and for having met you in the first place. Continue inspiring people, and thank you for coming on today. Thank you. That was just an absolute pleasure. Thank you for doing all the work you're doing. It, it inspires me equally. Really appreciate you. Thank you, Keika. Thanks for listening. Tune in next week for another insightful episode. If you haven't already, hit the subscribe button and leave your comments. For more information, check out our website at www.inspireus.ca. Remember, it's not what happens to us that matters most. It's how we respond to what happens to us that does. Stay strong and resilient. 